Hi, welcome to Living Water Bible Fellowship's audio sermons. It's our prayer and hope that you'll be encouraged and uplifted by the preaching of God's Word. Stick around after the message to hear more about how to contact us. This week, I travel, Elizabeth and I, we travel to Oregon for my daughter's wedding. And we're excited about it. We're looking forward to it. It's been a while since we've seen them. They have great plans. They have great dreams. They have their future ahead of them as husband and wife. One of the fascinating parts of a marriage is that a new family is formed. One of the fascinating uh, dilemmas therein is that a new family is formed. (laughs) The, uh, the question of allegiance comes to mind. The question of responsibility comes to mind. Family of origin here and family of origin here. That child used to be under the, the banner, the heading of mother and father. Their allegiance was there. Their responsibility was there. Family of origin here under father and mother here. They come together as one. Now they're a new family. Who are they responsible to? Who is their priority? Where do their priorities lie? Suddenly, husband and wife are the main priority in their life, and father and mother are no longer the priority. Father and mother no longer have authority over new family. Fascinating and incredible. What a a game changer. What a shift. What an incredible challenge to get used to that. My baby... Now someone else's bride. Wow. So they have some decisions to make. They have some choices ahead. They have a new, uh, uh, I I guess you'd call it a new way of being. They are accountable to each other. Their family, their new family is more important than their old family. It's hard to say that. To themselves, to each other, they are more important than the families of origin that they left behind. Now, I say that in that way, intentionally. What does it mean for us to come to Jesus Christ? What does it mean for us to join Jesus' family? What does it look like for us to become followers of Jesus Christ? Where is he in terms of priority? Where is he in terms of place in our life? Is he higher or is he on the same level of other relationships? To put it bluntly, my human family, my natural family, my biological family, is it on the same level as my Jesus family, my God family? Where does my responsibility lie? If push comes to shove, who will I go with? Who is my Lord? Would you please open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. Gospel of Mark, chapter 3, verse 20. Would Jesus say that you are part of His family? Would Jesus say that you are His disciple? Would Jesus say that you have made Him your highest priority, and how would you know? Chapter 3 of Mark, verse 20. 
Then he went home, speaking of Jesus, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. When his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. One of the things I love about the Bible is how honest it is. It doesn't play hagiography, make saints, and, and put things in place that are just whitewashed. It, it tells the truth, and very real drama in Jesus' family. They think he's out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he's possessed by Beelzebul. And by the prince of demons, he cast out demons. He called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he can plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, for they were saying he has an unclean spirit. The family is saying that he's out of his mind, and the scribes are saying he's possessed by the prince of demons. And his mother and his brothers came. And standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mothers and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking around at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God... He is my brother and sister and mother. Throughout the service today, there's been several mentions of family relationships, allegiances, lordship questions. Jesus, uh, in ministry, he worked really hard, and it was nonstop, going, going, going. Crowds coming, coming, coming. Everywhere he went, crowds. And, and his family finally got tired of it. His family, his mother, Mother Mary, the one who knew who he was, the one who gave birth to him, the one who heard Gabriel, the angel, said he is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. She, along with his brothers and sisters, they probably had long family conversations about Jesus. Man, he's overworking himself. This, this apparently, this, this account, it, it's, it's again very condensed and very summarized, but they apparently heard that Jesus was working so hard he wasn't even eating anymore. He couldn't even take the time to have a meal because the crowds were crushing, the crowds were overwhelming him. He, 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 couldn't even, he couldn't even do the basic necessities in life because he was so busy. And part of that also was they had heard perhaps that the scribes and the Pharisees had started a plot to kill him. I mean, what's he thinking if he's alienated the religious leaders of Israel? If he's alienated the people who are supposed to know God's will? What's he thinking? Maybe he's just losing it. 
How, how could he live that way? How could he, how could he act that way? How could he put himself in such a position? He, he's obviously going to burn out. He's obviously going to get fried. We, we need to go get him. We, we, need to, we need to rescue him. Maybe just give him a break. He's losing his mind. It, it's, it's, a, it's a wild picture, a wild scene of, of Mary who knows the truth, who's been, you know, some 30 years before this, she was told who he was going to be and what his, his plan, his purpose was in God's plan. And now as a mom, her heart is taking control of maybe her thoughts. I got to go take care of my baby. And so they go to seize him. It's a word used to grasp a hold of somebody, to arrest somebody. They're going to try to pull him away from his mission. They're going to try to bind him and, and pull for his, their motives apparently are good. Maybe the brothers, we, we know from John chapter 7 that the brothers don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. John chapter 7, we, we know that they don't believe in him. So maybe their motives are a little bit mixed. Maybe they're embarrassed by Jesus. Maybe the family name, the family honor is, man, that guy thinks he's God or something. That guy thinks, he's always talking about the end of the world. He's a fanatic. He's a lunatic. Maybe they're embarrassed and they want to save the family crest, the family reputation from scorn. Who knows? But his, his brothers and his sisters and his mother show up. They want to pull him away from the mission of God. Worse come the scribes from Jerusalem. They come down from Jerusalem. Now, geographically, in Israel, when you come down to Galilee, you're elevation-wise. We go down to Denver, right? Elevation-wise. But Jerusalem, you also go down to Galilee in terms of its lower, lower position on the totem pole. Galilee is lower. It's unimportant compared to Jerusalem. The scribes from Jerusalem, they go down to see Jesus. They're coming off their high hill. They're coming from the, 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 the bastion of orthodoxy. And they're going to tell people what's what. Apparently people have been talking about Jesus and they're saying, man, he does these miracles. He, he cast out demons. What do you guys think about him? And they don't mince any words. They say he's possessed by Beelzebul. Now Beelzebul, it's an it's a old word for a Canaanite god. Lord of the house, Lord of the temple. Some, some translations, uh, the, the word Beelzebub comes up. Uh, it's it's, a, it's a, a mess, kind of the, the origins of those words, but Beelzebub means Lord of the flies or Lord of the dung heap. Probably, uh, as I tried to research it and understand it this week, it's Beelzebul as, uh, as, as the ESV translates. He's possessed by the prince of demons, the, the lord of the house, the prince of demons. He's possessed by the ruler of demons. Wow, that's quite the statement. In fact, their second accusation, the reason he can cast out demons, it's the power of Satan in him that's removing demons from people's lives. <laughs> A stronger one has come within Jesus, possessed Jesus, is now using Jesus to accomplish his will. That's quite the statement from the scribes. It's quite the statement from the, the, the teachers of the law. The, 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 most, the most important rabbis of the nation have come, and they've laid down their opinion. And Jesus comes back and he says, that's about the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Can Satan drive out Satan? 
Uh, is a kingdom, if, is, if a kingdom fights against itself, won't it fall apart? If, if a house is divided against itself, won't it, won't it break up? Won't it be destroyed? If Satan opposes himself and is divided, he won't stand. He won't last. You're thinking the, first accus- the second accusation, you guys are nuts. What, what, what kind of logic is that? And, and, and he, he moves on when he talks about the unpardonable sin. The unforgivable sin. Sometimes we look at this and we wonder, what in the world? Have I ever committed the unpardonable sin? Have I ever committed the unforgivable sin? He's addressing their accusation that he's been filled by an unclean spirit by Beelzebul. He's looking at these religious leaders, these people who know the Word of God, who are supposed to be close to God, who are supposed to be walking with God in intimacy, walking with God in faithfulness and truth, who, who, who claim to know that God is all about this and all about that, who, to, who know that God is, is righteous and holy. And he looks at them and he gives them a stern warning. The unpardonable sin, it's, it's more like a warning here. It, it, you can try to delineate it, you can try to explain it, but basically what they're saying to Jesus is, we've seen you work and it's obviously evil. And Jesus' response is, if you can't see good for what it is, you are lost. If you have such an attitude of rebellion against God, that you can see the work of the Holy Spirit and attribute the work of the Holy Spirit to the devil, there's no hope for you. If you, if you don't see the one that is good and loving, if, if you don't see him as being able to change lives, if you don't see the Holy Spirit as powerful enough to save people, and you call that the work of the devil, man, you've cut off the branch you're sitting on. You have no hope. If you stoop so low, the warning is if you stoop so low that you're rejecting the word of God and calling it evil, how can you ever repent? And so basically, unless you see the the Holy Spirit is, is coming to you and calling for your repentance, the Holy Spirit coming into your life to change your life, if you reject the work of the Holy Spirit, you're rejecting any hope of salvation. The unpardonable sin is rejecting the work of God, rejecting the grace of God. Obviously, that's the only passion, the only way, the only way that we can be saved is to trust in God and His work. And so if you refuse to trust in God and His work, you cannot be forgiven. So it's a stern warning. It's, 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 it's in their face. They're trying to bind Jesus. They're trying to restrict Jesus. They're trying to make Jesus a non-entity in Israel. And he won't have it. He calls out their foolishness and their, their deceit and their rebellion. And he basically is calling them to repent before it's too late. Now, maybe you've uh, sinned as a Christian, or maybe you're not a Christian here today and, and you've sinned, and maybe you've wondered if you've committed a sin that has just gone too far, and that God has no hope for you, or there's no hope for you in God. Uh, if, you're, if you're wondering about that, or if you're asking that question, it's proof that you haven't committed the unpardonable sin. Because you have this repentance kind of a spirit in you. You have this, 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 this questioning uh, heart in you where you're looking to God and you're hoping in God and you're, you're hoping you haven't gone too far. You're, you're pliable, you're, mal- you're malleable, you're, you're able to see God for who He is in some sense. 
the good news that Jesus preaches here, and, and hopefully you can see it and, and grasp it. Verse 28, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. Uh, that's an incredible promise. To whoever believes in Jesus Christ, to whoever trusts in Jesus Christ, to whoever turns their life over to Jesus Christ, all sins will be forgiven. All derogatory statements against God, all lies about God, all the blasphemies maybe you've said about God in, in whatever state you were in. Of course they can be forgiven through the blood of Jesus. You are not unforgivable if you're here today and you've lived a life of sin. Jesus went to the cross and died on the cross. He died according to the Scriptures. He was buried and on the third day. He was raised according to the Scriptures. He died for your sins to take away your debt, to pay off your debt, so that when you turn to Him and trust Him and rely upon Him alone, you can be saved. No matter how far you've gone, no matter how dark your life has been, no matter how evil and unclean your hands have been, God can give you clean hands. He can give you that pure heart. He can rescue you and redeem you and reconcile you to God. That's the gospel. That's the power of God through Jesus Christ. Well, the, the heart of the text is about people trying to bind Jesus and trying to control him. There's kind of a sandwich technique here in Jesus's and Mark's writing. He starts off with the family coming. They're going to bind him. They're going to grasp him. They're going to seize him. And in the middle of the section, the Pharisees, the scribes, they're going to try to control Jesus and hold on to him and keep his, him out of mission. They're going to try to disqualify him before the eyes of Israel. Jesus doesn't have it. And then the second part, verse 31, the other part of the sandwich, now mother and brothers and sisters show up. And his mother and his brothers came. And standing outside, they sent to him and called him. So they've arrived, but there's a crowd. The crowd surrounding Jesus. The crowd's in the house. Jesus' disciples are in the house with him. The twelve that he called, as we looked at last week, they're with him. Those who he called and they followed are with him. Those who he called to be with him have followed and are near him. And these people who don't believe who he is, they don't believe he is the Messiah. They're on the outside looking in and they're calling and they're saying, you have to come out to us. You have to go with us. His family is trying to take precedent over God. His family is trying to place themselves in a higher position than the mission of God that Jesus is on. His family says, says to him, we have come to take charge of you. You must obey us. And what does Jesus say to that? The crowd were sitting with him. The crowd heard the the call of the family, and it's probably passing person by person. And then somebody in his inner circle says, hey, your family's out there. Aren't you going to go to them? 
See, in, in Hebrew culture, the family is of utmost importance. You put a high precedent on family, you put a high priority on family. Family, in some circles, is everything. Even in our day, even in American individualism, family sometimes is the most important thing there is. Shouldn't you go out to your mother and your, your siblings? Shouldn't you do what they say? And he answered them, verse 33, Who are my mother and my brothers? Kind of a strange question. Who is my true family? Who am I in allegiance with? Who am I tied to of the highest priority and the highest order? I hope my daughter and my new son-in-law ask that question as their parents maybe demand things of them. Their in-laws demand things of them. I hope they will answer the question in their minds that that they owe one another their highest allegiance, that their marriage is more important than the extended family. Jesus says, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers, and my sisters. Who are the ones sitting around him? Those who left all to follow him. Remember James and John, sons of Zebedee. Remember that, that point where Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee, and he saw these men sitting in the boat with their father Zebedee. And he called them. He said, follow me. And the scandalous action of James and John is they left their father in the boat to go with Jesus. Horrifying. In that culture, in that day, what are you saying? You're leaving the family business. You're leaving the family heritage. The extended families of the day, you are departing from your family. And Jesus had the audacity to say, come, follow me. And they did. And this group around Jesus, this 12 and the wider group of disciples, they're in the house with him. And he's looking around with, at them and he's, he's saying to them, man, who, who's, who's my family? You are. There's several things to say about this, this, this statement of Jesus. There's several ramifications in our life. Jesus would not be sidetracked from the mission of God by any other allegiance he had. Jesus would not be sidetracked from pursuing the mission of God and worshiping God first by any other entity. And neither should we. There are so many things, as Chad said earlier, so many voices that call our name, that you got to go with me, you got to go with me. Culture says, you got to live this way, you got to have a mortgage, you got to have all these things, you got to have all these possessions, you got to have all these, all these things in this life. 
all this money, all, all these property, all these houses. And, and, and these voices say, put us first. And even our biological family, our natural family, has a tendency in this culture to say, put me over Jesus. Put me over the family of God. Put me over your allegiance to the Lord. Now, I, I saw a quote once by a, a pastor named Russell Moore. Kind of a big name in the Southern Baptist circles until a while back. He said, a, a church that focuses on the family is, is, is on a biblical path. But a church that puts the family first is at odds with Jesus. Because God should be always first in everything. Other allegiances, whether it be marriages or extended family, fathers and mothers, children, always come second to the Lord. Always. Have you decided to follow Jesus? That old song is so wonderful. I have decided to follow Jesus. Have you decided to follow Jesus? What does it mean to follow Jesus? It means you leave behind every other allegiance. You leave behind every other God. We have the tendency sometimes to make family, the nuclear family, an idol that becomes greater than God does in our life. Now, don't get Jesus wrong here. The Bible is very clear that we have responsibilities to family members. We have responsibilities like the, whole, the Old Testament built on parents training their children in the way they should go. Parents responsible for children to discipline them, train them, to teach them. And in the New Testament, 1 Timothy 5.8, man, if, 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 if we don't take care of our family, man, we're worse than the pagans. We have responsibilities to family. Of course we do. Oftentimes, our, our, our close family, our natural family, our biological family, some of our closest relationships ever. But if you put that family, that daughter, above Jesus, you're mistaken. You're off course. You're not following Jesus. If you put that, that father uh, above your father in heaven, you're off course. Jesus wouldn't be bound by family. And so what happens in, in, in Muslim countries, for instance, or, or places where Hinduism is, is prime, or, or Buddhism is the highest religion, Someone comes to Jesus Christ and, and they start following Jesus and push comes to shove. And the family says, you stop following that false savior. You stop following that false God. And that kid who's decided to follow Jesus has to make a choice. Do I go with family or do I go with my Jesus? And the answer always has to be you go with your Jesus. You go with God, whether family follows or not. It's not that we hate family. It's not that we repudiate family. It's not that we put our biological family, our children, our, our, our spouses, our, our, our parents. You know, it's not like Jesus is rejecting them. We see at the end of the gospel when Jesus is on the cross, John's there with Mary, and he's facilitating her being taken care of by the disciples. He still knows he's responsible for his mom, but God comes first. And so, man... What does it mean to follow Jesus in your life? Let me put it to you this way. 
Does Jesus consider you part of his family? Or are you a false disciple? Does Jesus say that you're part of the most important family there ever will be or ever is, the family of God? Or have you put Jesus on a lower level and in fact you're not a true disciple? When Jesus calls a man or a woman, he calls them to die. To die to their former life, to die to their former allegiances, to die to their former gods. And to turn their life over to him and walk with him in discipleship. He says it very bluntly uh, in verse 34, and looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. He's raising up the family of faith over the biological family. He's saying the family of faith, which lasts forever, the eternal family, is greater than the biological family, greater than the natural family. And we get shocked by that. Because in many of our minds, family is everything. It is the family of God, the family of Jesus. When you come to Jesus Christ, it's not like you're coming to Him individually all by yourself. When you come to Christ, you come to the church. When you come to Christ, you come to the family of God. When you come to Jesus, you're united to, to Jesus' people. And so there's radical questions and radical decisions to be made. Do I do everything for my biological family or is there a place to sacrifice for the church family? Do I do everything, for instance, I have, you know, what if I had a great job offer? I've got maybe five kids at home and man, this place I'm living in is tough. It's a difficult place to live in. I'm not making a lot of money, but I have a great church family. I got people that love me and people that I'm tied into in intimate ways. We're encouraging each other. We're building each one other up. We're sacrificing for one another. We're, we're, we're living well together. But I've got, this, I've got a tough economic situation. I have a small house. I get a job offer across the country. And, and the job offer pays a lot more. Right? I can put my kids in a better school. What's the higher priority? The family of God or my individual preferences. Sometimes the church comes across as a vendor of religious goods seeking to bring preferences to people. Instead of the family of God, the families serving God and the church as a priority. It, it, it's, it's wild to think about how weak sometimes our churches are because the family of God is not first. <clears throat> Instead, other allegiances are first. Are you a part of the family of God? Are you someone that Jesus would say is a true disciple? A true disciple, we saw it last week when he called the twelve. What did he call them to be? He called them to be with him and to be sent out by him. These men, these women that are on his inner circle, they are with him over all things. What about you? Are there other gods in your life that have a higher priority? It could be family. It could be work. It could be your pension. It could be your car. It could be your fishing spot. It could be a whole number of things. I call you to follow Jesus Christ. 
The gospel calls you to put Him first. The gospel says that He died for you to purchase you with His blood. And when you decide to go with Him, you go with Him all the way. Please don't stay outside of the house. Please don't stay away from Jesus. Please don't stay separate from Jesus and serve lesser gods. Turn your life over to Jesus Christ. Become a true disciple. Do His will. Obey Him. Live for Him, first and foremost. You know, in the, in the wild thing, and this is, uh, uh, this is what I tell my daughter and my son-in-law, you put Jesus at the center of your life, you put Him first above all things, all the other relationships become better. When you make the family an idol and you worship that idol as most important, you're putting pressure on that, that family that was never meant to be. Only Jesus is God. Your family is not the God. Your children aren't gods to be worshipped. They can't, they can't live up to that expectation. They're going to fail you. They're going to let you down. They're imperfect. You worship God first, and then you can receive family as a gift. You worship God first, and then you can receive those children as a gift. You can love them as they are, not what you think they should be as a God or something. Put Jesus first. Everything else falls into line. The depth of Jesus is saying, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will fall into place. All these other things will come to be. He was so wise in that. If you're not following Jesus, if He isn't the priority in your life, if He doesn't have first place in your life, if He isn't your highest allegiance, I call you to repent today. Turn around. Turn to Jesus. Put Him first. Live for Him. To those who receive Him, to those who believe in His name, He gives the right to be called children of God. Surrender your life to Him today. Put Him on the throne of your life. Obey Him. Do His will. And you are a true disciple. Jesus refused to be bound by other allegiances. And so should you. Don't let other things control you or consume you. Live for Jesus Christ as your Lord. That's Jesus' will for you. Please stand in His presence. God Almighty, we thank You for Your redemptive work, how You've come to save and seek lost people, how You've come to make sick people well, sinners well, how You've come to redeem, bring people into Your family, save people forever and ever and ever. Lord God Almighty, we thank You for the truth that by the blood of Jesus all our sins can be forgiven. All our blasphemies can be forgiven. That by the blood of Jesus, we are made whole forever. 
We thank you, Lord, for bringing us into your family by faith. We thank you, Lord, for bringing us into the kingdom through faith in you alone. Lord God, please clarify for us, make, make clear for us, if we are following other gods, help us to repent. If we're following other paths of truth, help us repent and come back to your truth. Help us build our life on you, Jesus, and you alone. And may you be worshipped and glorified as you so richly deserve. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ, you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.